Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. I'm back on now. Tonight we will have three songs, and then Brian Ward will have our reading and prayer. Uh, one more song, and then Chris will have our lesson. Our first song tonight is number 71, Blessed Assurance. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. 71, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. Our next song is only overhead only. It's 10,000 Reasons. 10,000 Reasons. Oh, my 
next song is number 694 694 to Canaan's land I'm on my way after this Brian will have our reading in prayer bring a fan Brian it's hot up here to Canaan's land I'm on my way The scripture reading tonight comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to come here this evening, Father, to study another portion of your word. Father, we thank you for all of the opportunities you give us to, to come here, Father. We pray that we take advantage of those as much as we can. Father, we thank you for Chris and the ability to come up here and speak to us, Father. We pray that we will take his lesson and apply it to, to our lives. Father, we, at this time, we also want to pray for all those that are on the prayer list. Please uh, be with uh, Kristen as she goes, undergoes her treatments. Be with uh, Destiny's baby, Father. Uh, hopefully he got to come home today. Be with all the others that were mentioned this morning. Father, be with us the rest of this week. Help us to be the examples we need to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our song of invitation this evening will be number 23. 23, all things are ready. Now, if you would, let's stand, and we'll sing number 523. Our God is alive. There is beyond the azure a God concealed from human sight. He turns the skies with every hue and frames the world with his great might. Where is the God? He is alive. In whom we live and we survive from the dark. Good to see all of you back uh, for our evening worship tonight. This is uh, 
the month that our culture has designated as Pride Month. So over the last uh, several Sundays, we wanted to think biblically about this issue. I think a lot of people are thinking about it. I think a lot of people are not thinking biblically about it. We want to speak where the Bible speaks, and we want to think and act biblically on these topics that are really lightning rods uh, in our culture. And so there are opportunities for us to, to study with some of the people from this community. There are opportunities for us to influence them. Uh, and so we want to do so in the most advantageous way uh, for, for them as well as for us. And so I, I wanted to use our time together tonight just to kind of to do like a little Q&A, some questions and answers, because there are several questions uh, that revolve around this topic um, that we just haven't had time to talk about yet. And so I wanted to throw those together into, into a set of questions tonight and just kind of walk through them, see what the Bible says about them. This is a biblical topic. It is a biblical topic. And so this is something we have to think about. It's something we've got to confront. Um, this, this just cannot be allowed to continue on as it has been uh, without the church standing up and saying something. God cares about this issue deeply. And so this is something we're going to think about. Um, one of the first things you're probably going to hear from someone of this persuasion, from someone in the LGBTQ uh, community as well. Jesus never condemned it. He never condemned homosexuality. And I've listened to several podcasters and YouTube uh, folks who are Christian but also live this lifestyle which seems um, opposed. <laughs> doesn't seem possible. But uh, that's one of the first things they say. Well, Jesus never condemned it. Okay, let's think about that question biblically does he he does if you turn in your bibles to matthew chapter 19 he's going to condemn it matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 12 jesus spends 12 verses more than that really uh, if you take over everything he says about this topic talking about the way marriage ought to look matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 12 he has this conversation with some of the Jewish leadership and they have this question for him. Should we get a divorce and why did Moses allow divorce and all this kinds of stuff? What we're interested in comes down in verse 4. Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He gives you the ideal, right? You see the principle here. Jesus gives you the ideal marriage between one woman and one man. So that excludes what? Well, two men and one woman. It excludes polygamy. It also excludes homosexuality, doesn't it? Um, Jesus, by way of telling you exactly what marriage looks like, condemned homosexuality. And so it's not a fair assessment to the text to say, Jesus never talked about it. He did talk about it. 
He just did it in, in this way. Certainly, the men that he gave his authority to, the apostles, spoke on this topic prolifically. Uh, you're familiar, I'm sure, with, with Romans 1 where Paul comes out and says, this is unnatural, don't, don't act like this. God has given these people over to a depraved mind. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about some of the Corinthians were in this lifestyle. They've come out of it now. They've been justified, sanctified. These men talk about it. Inspiration talks about it. Scripture talks about this lifestyle, and it is always condemned. Jesus himself here does so. So that is not a valid critique. When they say Jesus never said anything about it, well, he does. He gives you the ideal for, for marriage, and he sets it up here in Matthew chapter 19. This next thought, uh, you may have to go with me for a little bit. I've got some, some thoughts on this one that uh, have been evolving over the years. Is, uh, is homosexuality different than every, every other sin? Well, in some senses, yes, and in some senses, no. So it's the only... Stop and think with me for just a second. Remember, we want to think biblically about this topic. So we're trying to do that. This particular sin is the only one where cities were destroyed because of this sin. You don't find any other cities, any other nations being destroyed for lying or for adultery, for any other sins. But this one is. Sodom and Gomorrah, along with the cities uh, lying around them, were, were destroyed for this particular sin. He also calls it an abomination. There are, I suppose we could say several sins as you walk through, especially the Old Testament. There are a couple in the New Testament uh, that he calls, that God calls an abomination. Specifically, the food laws in Leviticus, uh, all those animals, the unclean animals, are called an abomination. Uh, homosexuality is called an abomination. Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.13. Idolatry is used uh, a lot as an abomination, uh, a lot. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough, a lot. He talks about um, idolatry as an abomination, uh, sending God's second best sacrifices, those sacrifices that are lame or blind. Uh, it's, it's not true devotion. It's an abomination. And Interestingly, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, he also calls cross-dressing an abomination. Threw that one in for free. Uh, pride and wickedness uh, in, in Proverbs 6 are an abomination. Lying and taking advantage of people in Proverbs 11, 1 are an abomination. He seems to reserve this word, this abomination word, for sins that are particularly heinous to him. Now, you know, just as well as I do, that all sin separates you from God, right? Romans 3.23, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, all sin separates us from God. Is this one different? No, not in the sense that it separates you from God. Just like lying will separate you from God. Just like anger or adultery or greed, lust, any of these things will end you up in hell just as quickly as homosexuality will. It's not different in that respect, but it is different in the way that our culture glorifies it, right? 
you don't find any other sin group, if we can think about it like that, uh, that demands not only acceptance, um, but just total acceptance. Uh, there's not a, for instance, a, a month for greedy people, for us to celebrate greedy people, right? How silly would that be? The whole country would just laugh at that. There's not a whole month to celebrate liars. You know, like on this month, everyone just lied to everybody. You don't find our culture celebrating any other sins in mass like we do this one. So it's different in the sense that our, our culture glorifies this sin more than it does any other sins. It's also different in the sense that most people that are involved in sin want to be left alone, right? Um, they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be condemned. They just want you to leave them alone. That's not what the LGBTQ community wants. They don't want you to leave them alone. They want you to not just tolerate the activity. They want you to okay it. You see the difference? It's not just leave me alone. It's you have to say that what I'm doing is all right. And that's a line we can't cross. Kind of no matter what the repercussions of that are. Um, and <laughs> this, this is just coming down the pipe, isn't it? Uh, you, you've seen countries, uh, Canada is first on uh, the list where there are repercussions for saying that what they're doing is sinful. And so even when those repercussions come, that still has to be said. Um, and it's not coming from a place of, of anger or I'm better than you are or a place of judgment. It's not coming from any of those things. It's coming from the place where if you see someone walking into a burning building, what do you do? You try to bring them out, right? You try to say, what are you doing? Why are you walking into a burning building? The same thing is going on here in Scripture. We see people who are happily running towards judgment, and they don't even know it. And so it's our responsibility as the church to step in and say something. Um, so this sin is different than, than other sins in some respects. I don't know of any other sin group that has an agenda. I mean, have you ever uh, heard of, of the, the greed agenda? It doesn't exist, right? Like there's not like a whole group of greedy people got together and, and formed an alliance and now they're pushing their morality and, and, and their values on the rest of us to make us more greedy. That's not, that hasn't happened, but it has happened with the, with the LBGTQ community. So it's different in some respects. Um, I don't know that it's any different in the respect that it separates them from God just like um, greed or lying or lust or anything else would, would separate us from God. I don't think it's different in that respect, but I do think it warrants some thought on our, on our part that our culture glorifies this. Um, and it's something that we need to think through very seriously, um, especially in respect to, to the agenda that they're trying to drive home. Um, you can find their websites uh, if you're so inclined uh, and read through the agenda that they're trying to propagate. They, they don't want just ex toleration. It's not like uh, Otis 
remember in the Andy Griffith's show, Otis just wanted to be left alone, didn't he? And it was okay if, if Andy threw him in the, in, in the jail cell and he would get out the next day. All he wanted to do was be left alone, right? That's not what they want. They don't want to be left alone. They want you to okay their activity. The problem is God doesn't okay it. So it's something that we've, we've absolutely got to think about. One of the problems, I think, with when we teach and when we talk about this issue is um, they have the folks that, that are on the opposite side of the fence here have categorized these discussions in such negative terms that it's almost... Uh, I think we're almost afraid to have these discussions, right? So if if you say that what they're doing is sinful, there's some slurs for you, right? Uh, you might be compared to the KKK or a Nazi. Well, nobody wants to be compared to those organizations for sure, right? And so we have found ourselves apologizing for telling the truth. How many times have you heard people do a lesson very much like this and say, well, I love homosexuals and and we want to accept everybody. They're making concessions, right? Not that we shouldn't love people. Obviously, we should love people. All sin groups, we're all in the same boat, saved by grace, thankfully. We just have to think through these issues in a very careful way. Um, I think some of these comparisons that, that folks in the LGBTQ community have, have, have made and have characterized Christians as KKK and Nazis, uh, they're, they're just a way to shut us up, basically, I think. Um, so is it different? Yes, right? No other sin was... No other city was obliterated for any other sin. So yes, it is different. Our culture doesn't glorify any other sin like it does this one. No other sin group, no other group of sinners has an agenda like like these folks have an agenda. But also, is it different? No. It separates them from God just like, just like our greed, just like our lust, just like our, our lying and all the other stuff will separate us. From God, so is it different? Yes, and and no. Um, this one is kind of interesting, and I don't really have an answer for this. A lot of people uh, started talking, especially back in the early two thousands. Is there a gay gene? Is there a homosexual gene? Uh, meaning, are you born homosexual? I remember having conversations like this in college. Uh, what a, what a wonderful Thing you could have a theological conversation in your dorm at midnight. I don't know that it was always intelligent conversations, but they were. <laughs> we were trying. Um, so, especially in the early two thousands, and it comes up every now and then. Still, uh, you hear about: Is there a gay gene? Are are you born with these proclivities? Right. There are members of the church that have their PhDs. Um, some of these guys have them uh, in, in um, 
the sciences, and they can speak to the invalidity of the gay gene in a more thorough fashion than I can. So I will point you toward those articles. I, I may link those to our Facebook page uh, tonight. Uh, and you should read through those. And I think you come to your own conclusion. I don't think there's a gay gene. I think they've proved that there's not. But just for our purposes tonight, let's just assume that there is. Let's just assume certain people are born gay. I don't think that's true. But just for the purposes of our discussion tonight, let's assume that they are. So what? So what? Everyone else in this room was born with a proclivity to lust, right? That's why you got married. That's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 7, if you can't control it, you get married. A lot of us were born with a proclivity to greed because this thing and the bills that seem to constantly pop up in our mailboxes get into our heads and we find ourselves with almost this innate need for money. And it turns into greed, right? What's the difference? We have to control our lust, our greed, our anger, right? They have to control these things even if they were born with those proclivities. It doesn't mean that it's okay to give in to those proclivities. You know how I know that? Matthew 5. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 5. Check out what Jesus says here on the Sermon on the Mount. Right after the Beatitudes, he starts going through these sections. Uh, You see it in verse 21 with anger. You see it in verse 27 with lust. Uh, You see it in verse uh, 38 with retaliation. All those things, he says, are kind of knee-jerk reactions. Those are things that you have to control, right? Are those sinful? Yes. If you give in to those sins, will they condemn you? Yes, right? I have to control those urges just like they have to control their urges. If they can lead a non-practicing homosexual lifestyle... Everybody with me? If they cannot practice and still have those desires, assuming that they were born with this proclivity, if they do not practice, then they have not sinned. Everybody with me? The lust and what comes out of it, with me, is the sin. If they do not lust, if they've controlled themselves to the point that they do not lust, They're not going to carry it any farther than that. Then they have not sinned. And it is just the same as anyone, as a heterosexual person, not lusting after the opposite sex. We have to control those urges. We were born with those. Those are God-given, right? He gave you those urges, right? It doesn't mean they get to run amok. Everybody with me? The same thing can be true for them, assuming that there is a gay gene, assuming that they were born with proclivities uh, in that direction. And it looks like the science teaches that there's not. But even if they were, they have to control themselves 
just like the rest of us. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. So how do they okay their lifestyle? How do they read Scripture? Good, honest people. Like, okay this lifestyle. The people that I've watched on YouTube and the podcasts that I've listened to this week, I don't, I don't know those people. But just from what they're saying and the arguments that they're using, it seems like they've studied their Bibles to some extent. Not, not as much as they should, obviously. But to some extent, they've, they've studied their Bibles. So how do they get from Bible to okaying that lifestyle? Have you ever heard of the Queen James Bible? This is how they do it. They've made their own Bible. And they've cut out all the verses that deal with homosexuality. They made them say something different. Let me give you a couple of, of examples. It's based on the, Queen, the King James Bible from, man, probably like 18-something. Um, because they think that everything from 1946, from the 1946 RSV version, uh, started introducing all the anti-LGBTQ um, thoughts into Scripture. Again, they've done a little bit of Bible research, but they haven't done a whole lot. Now, before we get into these verses, let's think about the scholars that have translated this Bible, the, the Queen James Bible. Where are, their, where are their diplomas? Where's their education? Where's their credentials to be able to do this? Because, very frankly, I am nowhere near qualified to translate Scripture. Not even close. I can read it, and somebody else that's translated it for me, I can kind of figure it out, right? Like, like the most, of rest, most of the rest of us, I don't have those credentials. A lot of people with PhDs don't have those credentials. So who are these guys, and where are their diplomas, where are their credentials in the ancient languages? Because you better have a, at least a couple you better have one in Greek and you better have one in Hebrew, a PhD in ancient languages, if you're going to attempt to translate Scripture. There better be some pretty heavy credentials backing up your thoughts here. So where are their credentials? We don't even know who these people are. They're anonymous. This, is, this comes from their website. It's not like they're, they're, they're hiding this. this. This comes straight from the LGBTQ websites uh, talking about the Queen James Bible. They don't know who translated it, or at least if they do know, they're not saying. So it's really easy to translate a Bible and make it say whatever you wanted to say and not have to be held accountable for it, at least in this life. So you can make it say some stuff that it doesn't actually say. Let me give you a couple of, uh, of examples here. In... Uh, in Genesis 19, verse 5, the ESV says, uh, And they called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. You're familiar with the, with the euphemism there, no, I'm sure. Uh, in the Queen James Bible, it translates it like this. And they called out unto Lot and said to him, Where are the men which came to thee this night? Everything sounds normal, right? Bring them out to us that we may rape them and humiliate them. So that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the sin. That's what they're going to say is the rape and the humiliation is the sin. It's not 
homosexuality. It's the, it's the rape and the humiliation. So are those words found back in the Hebrew in, in uh, Genesis 19, verse 5? Those words are there, right? The rape and humiliate? No. They're, they're not there. Not at all. They've supplanted words into the text to make it say what they wanted to say. Let me give you a couple of other examples. Here, here's, here's a good one. Leviticus 18, verse 22. The, uh, the ESV says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Pretty clear. The Queen James Bible says, If a man also lie with mankind in the temple of Molech, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon their own head. So what they added there was in the temple of Molech. That's in the original, right? If you go back and you look at the Hebrew in, in Leviticus 18, verse 22, in the temple of Molech is hidden somewhere there in the Hebrew, right? No, it's not. They've just supplanted words there to make the sin idolatry instead of homosexuality. And honestly, there's, there's about eight or ten more of these, and we could, we could go through them uh, tonight, but they're a lot like that. They supplant usually idolatry in the place of the sin of homosexuality. So it's basically a passing of the buck, right? Homosexuality is not the sin. It's this, it's this other thing that God really uh, detests. It's an, that, that's the abomination to him. But you've had to add words to the text to make it say that. I mean, you see how that's obviously not good. <laughs> all this, all these questions, and, and there's so many more that we could and maybe should be answering. I just wanted to pick several uh, for us tonight to kind of stimulate our brains into thinking like this. I wanted us to think biblically about these issues. Our culture throws so much so much at us um, that often it's difficult for us to think biblically about these issues because we're so caught up in what our culture thinks. If you're under 20 years old, you have been alive, the entire time you've been alive, the LGBTQ agenda has fairly well flourished. It's it's been more prevalent, more widely accepted over the last 10 years than it was in the previous 20. But if you're under 20 years old, it's been so widely accepted, it's almost common knowledge. It's just worked its way into our culture and into our heads. When you come to Scripture, it's not something that pleases God. It is sin. Just like lying, just like adultery, just like the laundry list of sins that God entails throughout the rest of the New Testament. These things separate us from God. We need to think biblically about these issues. To the folks that are in that persuasion, ridicule and harshness just... validates 
what they already feel from Christians in general. When we speak with them, with this community, our Bibles need to be open and our hearts need to be open and there needs to be a lot of tenderness and and, and compassion when we deal with these topics because this is a tough pill to swallow because they, a lot of them, have bought into the lie that our culture has sold us. So as we try to walk them out of this lifestyle, convincing them through Scripture that what they're doing is sinful, there just needs to be an awful lot of compassion. We need to talk to them about baptism. We need to talk to them uh, about judgment. But all that needs to be done in in compassion, obviously. I know this this hasn't been an evangelistic uh, lesson necessarily for you, Um, we always want to offer the invitation. If you are struggling with something that, uh, that you know has separated you from God and you want to be immersed into His blood, finding a way out of your own burning house, a way out of judgment, a way not to be held accountable for the things that you've done that you know are wrong, baptism is the answer. It's the only way out. It's the only way to be cleansed from your sins. Tonight, if you need... Uh, to be baptized. We want to aid you in any way we can. If you've already made that decision and you need the prayers of this congregation to be who God wants you to be, to stand up in the midst of a dark and crooked generation and say to them, make straight the paths of the Lord. If you have any need, why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing. All things are ready. Come to me. Come for the table now is spread.
a couple announcements before we're dismissed. Remember, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board for the baseball road trip for July 23rd and 24th. The deadline for this is July 14th, so sign up if you plan to go for that. Bridal showers planned for Grace Hutchison and fiance Ryan Gattrell, July 18th here at the building. Uh, congratulations to Destiny and Matt Kingery on the arrival of baby Theo. Uh, he should be home from the hospital this afternoon. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet to take meals to them on the four-year board as well. And if you get a chance and you can, uh, the summer mowing schedule is on the four-year board. Sign up for that. On the prayer list, remember Carol Galloway, Kristen, and Eugene Stover, and all the others were mentioned this morning. Is there any other announcements need to be made? If not, and you've not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, we will have a closing song and closing word of prayer. It will be it remains spread in the conference room to my left. Our last song this evening is number. It's not a number. It's on the overhead only. Uh, it's sanctuary. Sanctuary. After this, Mike will have our closing prayer. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you for this day that you've blessed us with, Lord, the uh, ability to be here today to worship you and sing praises to you, Father, to uh, take communion this morning, Father, to remember your son Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, and we just thank you, Lord, for all the many blessings you do give us and for the hope of eternal life that we do have. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for Chris that um, put together the lessons today. and. Father, we just pray that we will always stand for your truth and um, 
and have the courage to do so, Father, and to do so in a, a loving manner. And Father, we pray for those that have been mentioned on the prayer list, continue to be with Carol and Clinton and be with Kristen, Father, and Eugene and baby Theo and, and all the others, Father. We know there's so many that are in need of prayer and healing at this time, and we just uh, lift them up to you, Lord, and be with us, Father, as we uh, prepare to leave here this evening. Give us safe travels home and a, a good week ahead, Father, and forgive us when we do fall short. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen.